We are on the final session now of a, a three-part series that I've called Pick a Fight. Um, unusual title, but those of you who've been in the previous two will know it's a really great title. And as I wrestle with the things I'm going to say, I don't know if you're preachers here or if you write essays or something, one of the questions you ask yourself is, what am I trying to say? Because at the end of it all, you don't want to say a whole bunch of nice stuff but not actually said anything. Do you hear? Uh, and so I've wrestled with what I'm trying to say, and, and I'm, I'm asking you to think to yourself, what is it you're fighting for? And to work that out, you need to decide what's important to you. What is long-lasting? Do you know there's that moment when you're watching something on TV? Does anyone ever watch DIY SOS? Oh, man, what a program. If you don't watch that, you're just almost not saved. <laughs> you need to watch DIY SOS because I think Jesus is in it. But they, they do things, they gather community and they find a family that had real struggle and they do up their home and, and they all that they offer their services for free and they do things in a week they could never have done in three years and they send the family away and when they come back it's sort of like, oh well, what you've done. In that moment when you hear people struggle, an often really difficult struggle, it puts life in perspective. We all love a moan, don't we church? Come on, I love a moan so don't let me leave me hanging, you love a moan, don't you? And the reality is, when you see other people's real struggle, it makes you think, wow. But what we need to think is, rather than moaning about some of the small struggles in our life, what do we actually want our life to count for? At the end of it all, when you look back, what's it counted for? And so when we're talking about picking a fight, we're talking about picking a fight with the things that stop you living your best life. We're talking about picking a fight to make sure I stood for what God asked me to do. We're talking about picking a fight with setting up the next generation. That kind of a, We're not talking about picking a fight with people. Do you hear me? But your life is important. Your life is worth fighting for. And the person next to you is the same. So we can fight for ourselves and we can fight for each other because we have to count for something. Is there an amen in the house? Your life is important for what you want, for what your family wants, but you have a part to play in God's big, big, big picture. Do you get that? God has got a big plan for humanity, and you're right in the middle of it. That makes you important. And that's why your life is worth fighting for. Beyond just being part of your world, you're part of God's big world with a part to play. Are you hearing me? There's not much excitement in the house right now. You count for something. So we've looked uh, at this idea of picking a fight through the lens of Elijah's life. And we've looked at the journey he went on where he was called to pick a fight ultimately with Ahab and Jezebel, who were the king and queen at the time. Uh, the queen in particular had been um, creating fear all around and people were turning away from God because of fear and all kinds of weird reasons. And God was like, I love these people too much. I need to call them back to myself because the best life is live with me in the middle of it. Amen. And so, so Elijah gets called to go and challenge Ahab and Jezebel and says, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. That was a big deal in the time. They wouldn't have wanted to hear that. So this is the fight he's picking. The purpose of the fight was for God to take Elijah on his personal journey into Kerith where he learned to do life one-on-one. -on -one. Who knows you need to have a good one-on-one -on -one relationship with God? You can't rely on everyone else all the time to hear God for you. You should be able to hear God for yourself. But that takes time and discipline. So he took Elijah on. Then he put him in a family. Who knows that living in a family is sometimes difficult? It's the time where you get so familiar with each other, almost over-familiar, that you point the finger so quickly and you tear each other apart so quickly, yet they're the people you love the most. And so Elijah is put in that position. And once he's overcome his personal battles and once he's overcome his family battles, God positions him in a public ministry role and he calls fire down on Mount Carmel. He has to go through this journey. 
But the purpose of all that is to turn the hearts of the people back to God. So that, there's a reason for the fight. But the next thing is what we're going to focus on today. The next thing which is absolutely key is that God positioned Elijah, having gone through that journey, to position the next generation to go further than he did. Come on, people. Give me a wave if you're over 40 in the building. Come on, don't, don't be shy now. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Yeah, we need to be positioning. Yeah, 40 and over. Matt said, I'm 40. I'm in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be carrying on with our personal fight, but positioning the next generation after us to go further than we did. And that's a fight. And that's a fight worth fighting for. We need a generation underneath us who are willing to take on the fight to go further than we did. So if you're, give me a wave, you're under 40 right now. Now we need some passion in your guts, people. God needs some passion in your guts because your life is worth fighting for. Am I building a bit of a picture for you? So we come to the point in Elijah's story where he's called fire down from heaven. Um, he's had the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah slaughtered. Uh, and Jezebel has got the hunt with him and sent him a letter saying, I'm going to kill you. He runs off and wants to die. But God picks him up and says, come on. And what he says to him is this. Forget that. My word trumps fear. Now I want you to go and anoint the next generation. I want you to hand the mantle on. I want you to position them with my anointing for the future. And he hands the baton on. This is what God says to him. 1 Kings 19 verses 15 and 16 says this. The Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu. He's important. Turn to the, next, the person next to you and say, remember Jehu. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Also anoint Elisha. He's super important. Turn to the other person and say, Elisha. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So what's happening is here is, is Elijah's been on this journey, overcoming his own struggles, picking a fight with those people, turning people away from God. He's positioned himself now where he's done what he was asked to, and God said, well done. Now you need to pass on the baton. Now you're going to pass it on to other people because they're going to run with it where you've finished. The, the, the dream isn't over. The plan isn't stopped. Well done for playing your part. Now hand it on. Are, are you with me? So let's look what happens. See, a new season unfolds, and it's a powerful season. It's a victory season, but it costs. Who knows if you're going to achieve anything good in life, it's going to cost you. Yeah? We're not so agreement now. Have a look. As, as Elijah goes to anoint Elisha, this is where we find the story. 1 Kings 19, 19, it says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, in those times, the cloak represented uh, the mantle, the anointing of God. And so he's basically, that's the symbol I'm passing on the anointing to you. Here's the thing. It cost Elisha. We know it cost Elisha because he had 12 oxen. He had stuff going on in his world. He had things. He had materials. He had ability to make wealth. He was doing very well and he was very busy. But then the call of God came and he had a choice to make. Who knows that when the call of God comes, you always have a choice. One of the things you can choose is to say no. Cheers, God. Love you and all that. But I've got some stuff going on right now. But Elisha didn't do that. You see, Elisha wanted it. Elisha thought to himself, 
I want my life to count at the end of it all for something that's just bigger than me. I want my life to count for the things of God. I love God and I want to be available to him and his purposes. So I'm going to pray the price. He wants it. Do you know what? There's, an, there's a cost involved for whatever you want to do. There are people here who got a God call to business. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time, energy, study. It's going to cost you discipline on how you manage your personal finances and how open-handed you are. It's going to cost you. There are people here who are called to social justice. And it will cost you because some of that stuff's heart-wrenching. But it's going to cost you emotion and time and energy and fighting for something and pushing through to see other people get their breakthrough. It will cost you. There will be some people here who are called to teach. And I know lots of teachers and it costs to teach. Underpaid, overworked. All the teachers in the house said... But when you're called to it, you're prepared to pay those. There'll be people here called to a church-based ministry. I can tell you, it costs. But you know what? At the end of it all, when you pay the price and you look back and you say, come on, I did what God asked me to. There's nothing better. Isn't it going to be awesome at the end of it all when we are all going to stand before God? But for those of you who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's not a question of are you in or are you out. You're in. Through the blood of Jesus, you're saved. You're in. By grace, you're saved. You're in. It's not going to be that. It's going to be, did you do what I asked? See, now we're living for crowns. And I want to stand before God and to the best of my ability to do everything he ever asked me to. Because when I stand before him, I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know? Everyone, you've all got a call. You are all important. Every single one of you is important. It's not just about me and my stage ministry. You've all got stuff that God's asked you to do. It's worth fighting for, but it will cost. See, Elisha, he chooses to follow. Okay, Elijah, I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to go everywhere you go. I'm going to understand how you think, how you do stuff. I'm going to understand how you communicate with the Father. I'm going to understand the call on your life and what you do. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to walk from you. And he follows and he follows and he follows. Every one of the prophets, and there's lots of them at the time, know that Elijah is about to be taken away. Elisha knows he's going to be taken away. And they try to deter him. Isn't it amazing how even the church tries to deter the church? Oh, don't do that. That'd be hard work doing that. Shut up! I've got a God call on my life. I'm going to pay the price. I will not miss it. See, Elisha is saying... I want it too bad. I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep going because I won't miss it. 2 Kings 2 verse 1 through 4 says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Remember that. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And even Elijah's saying, you don't have to come. But he's saying, I won't miss it. I'm paying a price here. I will do what it takes. You're not going to lose me. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Cheers, guys. Thanks. Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Can you see the heart of the man? Even Elijah is saying, you don't have to come. 
He's saying, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm staying. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to miss it. All the prophets are coming and saying, you know he's going to go. Let him go. He's saying, no, 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 no. As long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to give up. I'm paying a huge price. I will not miss it. I've got a God call on my life, and I'm prepared to fight for it. Can you hear the heartbeat that's in Elisha? We need some Elisha spirit in the church today. We will not miss it. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Elisha wants it so badly. See, there has to be a generation coming up that has it in their gut that says, I won't miss it. I'll do what it takes. When I look back, I want to know my life stood for something. Salvation, healing, mission, hope, eternity. These are the things that are on God's heart. Yes, create wealth for yourself. Yes, have great holidays, drive nice cars, live in great houses. Yes, have an awesome family. Yes, 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 all of that. But not all of that instead of that. All of that. Are you with me? It takes some fight and it takes some cost. But let me tell you, it's worth it. So it cost Elisha. He had to give up his life. He had to pursue even when people were trying to deter him. Do you know it cost Elijah too? Who knows that having a protege follow you is sometimes really hard work? Stop asking questions. You're going on. When you're discipling someone, when you're leading someone forward, it is very hard work. But it's worth fighting for. You see, there's a dying to self when you're in Elijah's position because it's not about you anymore. You see, there's a dying to self because I've done some awesome stuff, but the season's changing. There's that realization that the mantle is shifting. He passed his cloak over, and that can be a bitter bitter pill to swallow for anyone who's done great stuff. But hear me, you older generation, you 40 pluses, Elijah doesn't die. He gets taken up. The whirlwind. Do you remember? 2 Kings 2, 9 through 11 says this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Key. This is absolutely key. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Turned to the person next to him and said he wanted double. Elijah says, you have asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Here's the thing. Elisha was fighting. Elisha was following. Elisha wouldn't give up because he wanted to inherit double. There is a double anointing coming to the church, but we've got to want it so bad. You you see, Elijah's like, oh, the anointing's shifting, the mantle's shifting, have I played my part? No, 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 no. He was just being taken to a higher level. His role was changing, but he wasn't dying. Can you see? So I want to encourage every person here who feels like you're 40 plus, you're 50 plus, you're 60 plus, you're 70 plus. You're not died out. You have a purpose and we need you. But you're on a different level. You see, the young people who have got passion and guts and drive, they need us. They need mothers and fathers. They need the wisdom of years. They need to learn from the mistakes we've made. Your role will change, but you're at a higher level. But we need each other. Amen? So let's honor each other. As things shift, let's honor each other. You know, we've just recently started our youth club, and we're hosting it at our house every other Friday. And I think I'm pretty cool. 
I think I'm quite down. Yeah, amen. Well done, Kenny. Uh, I think I'm quite down with the kids. Until, until you start talking with the kids. Not got a clue what they're saying. They're using language I've never heard before. I'm like, oh, can I get the interpretation, Lord? It's, I'm not down with the kids. I'm 48 years old and I'm not, I'm not a kid. And it's like that realisation that, wow, I can't be the youth leader anymore. But I can oversee from a distance. I can bring wisdom. I can bring understanding. I can bring security. I can bring guidance. But it's not me. Years ago, I was the, I was the coolest youth leader you've ever seen. Well, I think so. I used to lead this group called Treble One Threes, and Treble One Three stood for 11 to 13 years old. But uh, the church I belonged to was quite a large church, and it became not Treble One Threes, but 10 to 16s. I think what we did then would be illegal now. I, on my own, every Sunday, I, I led a group of about 50 on my own. And I think that's probably illegal today, even though know, with all the health and safety and the rest of it. But back then, that's what I did. So I was quite a good youth leader back then. People wanted to be there. Not anymore. Don't even understand what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, you may well see, and I don't think Alice is here this morning, but Alice has started leading some worship. Have you been in the service where Alice has led worship? Blonde girl, awesome, awesome voice, great gifting, clearly an anointing on her life. So Matt has the opportunity now not to say, oh, well, that's it, I'm off then. No, no, but to guide, to lead, to encourage Matt's time, your time as a lowest leader isn't over yet, Matt. But there's a transition going on that we can all see, which is helpful. There's lots of, lots of laughter going on the front row. But you're witnessing it in a platform ministry about how to pass on mantle. Alice will take us somewhere where we can't take it because she's carrying something new. If you're a young worship leader here, and I'm talking people who are, who are in their 30s and 20s and 30s, or even younger, there's an anointing on you to take worship and music somewhere new. And we need you. But you need the wisdom and understanding that the older generation have garnered on the way. Do you see how we work together? It's so important. And it costs. I have to highlight this because I've experienced this and I'll probably be saying it to my children too. You know, there's Elisha. Elijah says to him, what do you want? So he tells him what he wants. And what's Elijah's response? Well, you've asked a difficult thing there. Who knows that the older generation always think they had it more difficult? Come on, people. Do not tell me that your parents and your grandparents didn't say, well, when I was a kid. Or when I went to school, it was 75 miles. And I had to go over two mountains in the hail with bare feet. You've got it so easy. But the reality is their struggles were real then, but the younger people's struggles are real now. They're just different struggles. So let's stop comparing struggles and just get behind each other. It's not a difficult thing. It's God's anointing on his life that says, I can ask for a double because I can handle it. Maybe there's a younger generation today that can handle more than I could ever handle. And I need to stop saying that's difficult and start saying, well, come on, then let's go. Amen. We're fighting for this stuff. The goal of the mature generation is now to release a younger generation into double. That's our goal. It's not to cling on to what we've done, celebrate what we've done. But our goal now is to release other people to go further than we've ever gone before. And it's biblical, because here we're talking about Elijah, who was epic, handing on to Elisha, who we're going to look at in a moment. You had John the Baptist, who was epic. Everyone loved him. He was amazing. Couldn't get any better. But then there was Jesus. Oh, wow. But then there was Jesus. It was epic. And then there was the church. 
Because Jesus said, John 14, 12, you see the things I've done, you will do greater things than me. But we need to start believing that. We need to be a generation that has it in our guts to say, Jesus spoke that over me, I'm going to walk in it. But it will cost. It will cost you in life choices and what you do with your time, who you hang out with, what you listen to, what you look at, what your prayer lives look. It will cost you. But let me tell you, it will be worth it. There are life changes in this room. There are world changes in this room. But we've got to fight for each other. Amen? I love this idea that in the process of discipleship, friendship develops. You see, when John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus cried. He's like, wow. You know, when Elijah was taken up, people cried. Now, isn't it awesome to think that for those older people who are prepared to sow into a younger person, that when the day comes and you separate, there might be tears because you've created this bond of love and affection and deep joy at seeing each other succeed. That's what God wants to see in the church. That's getting so close and cheering on each other so hard and fighting for each other so hard. But when the day comes and we have to part company, it's a difficult day, but in a good way. Do you hear me? That's what church should look like. So let's have a look at Elisha. He was epic. 2 Kings 2 verses 13 through 15 says this. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak because he didn't leave and he did push through and he did see him taken up. That had fallen from him and went back, to, and, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. I love this. Uh, This is the heart of God, that when someone new steps into ministry life, when someone new steps into business, when someone new steps into teaching, when someone new steps into parenthood, when someone new steps into marriage, he gives them an early win. You see, he took the, everyone's looking, thinking, you're not Elijah, you're not Elijah, you're not Elijah, but then he bangs the cloak. And they're like, oh, the spirit of Elijah is resting on him. He knows it's double, but they've seen something. Can you see? So expect, if you step into something new, expect an early win. David knocked down Goliath publicly. Young kid, probably 13 years old, went out and knocked down the giant. They were like, oh, something special about him. Public. You will get a public win when the anointing of God's on you. So God gives Elijah this this, uh, sign and unfolds this amazing, amazing story. And I couldn't tell you all the stories. You you can go read it in, in, in the end of One Kings and all the Two Kings. Uh, but let me highlight a couple of things. Uh, and I love this, and I love the sense of humor in this. Um, don't tell me God's not got a sense of humor. 2 Kings 2, verses 23 and 24 says this. From there, Elijah went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered him. Get out of here, Baldy! I know my son like that. I haven't finished that one. Can we go back? Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy! That's brilliant. He turned around, looked at them, and called a curse down on them from the Lord. Then two bears came out and mauled them. <laughs> well, that's quite funny. So here's this anointing on Elijah, and there's this idea that God will protect his anointed. So if people are going to jeer you, I'm not suggesting you call down some bears. Might be fun. But know this, God will protect you. God will protect you. And, and so Baldy called down the bears, and the kids stopped annoying him. 
I won't read this one, but in 2 Kings 5, you'll find this guy called Naaman, who's a captain of the, the king's army, and he suffers from leprosy. And he doesn't know what to do. There's no cure for it. But his servant says, there's a guy, this guy called Elisha, and he's a prophet, and I believe he could heal you. So he visits him. And Elisha says to him, what you need to do is you need to go and bathe seven times. And he's like, well, why, would I, why can't you just say? And he walks off with a great big strop. But the, the, the servant says, surely you would do whatever it takes to get your healing. Why, why are you saying no? And he goes and bows seven times, and of course, he gets well. You see, Elisha carries this anointing for healing, for breakthrough, for protection, to advance the kingdom of God. He was epic. Read the stories for yourself. Two Kings, the last one of his stories. Two Kings, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 13 through 17 says this. Um, this is what's been happening. There's, there's a fight brewing. And uh, God keeps speaking to Elisha about the plans the enemy's king is making. And every time they try to fulfill one of these plans, they get thwarted. And it's as if the enemy knows what's going to happen, because they do. Because there's a double portion on Elisha and he hears God clearly. And so the king starts having meetings in his bedroom. And it's, you know, no one, no one can, other than they're supposed to be in the meetings, in the meeting, no one can know. And of course, in the end, Every time God just tells them what to do and they just thwart it every single time. And they work out what's happening and they go to find out Elisha because they've got, to put, they've got to take him out because he's ruining everything. And this is where we join the story in 2 Kings 6 verses 13 through 17. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no! My Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Elisha, <laughs> when you have a double portion anointing, when you've learned to spend time with the Father, and when you can hear things that he's saying and see things how he sees them, you always see a different picture. How many of us are looking at our current circumstances and think, what on earth am I going to do? Well, maybe the Lord's saying to you, open your eyes. Because there was an army surrounding them. And in the natural, what on earth can I do? But in the spiritual, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. The story goes on and what happens is Elijah just blinds them all for a moment. He just says, take away their sight. And so they're all floundering and they basically just walk straight through to the other side and get away. You see, that's my God. You see, when you're carrying an anointing and a passion that won't let it go, when things seem impossible, God makes a way. And you have a story to say, my God is awesome. That's worth fighting for. You'll be blessed. Your family will be blessed. The people around you will be blessed because you've chosen to fight for something. You can't walk like that and not fight for it. It will cost you. Elisha paid a price, but look at the life he got to live. How awesome is that? He was outrageous and powerful. Now, remember this. When Elijah was fighting, he fought against Jezebel. She's witchcraft personified in the Bible. She invoked fear everywhere. She was a horrendous queen. But it wasn't Elijah that took her out. It was Elisha. 
Because Elisha, this kind of thing needed a double portion of anointing. There are some things that previous generations haven't been able to do, but the new generations are going to be able to do. And it's not because we're better. It's because God's releasing more to the church. We need to learn from what's gone before, but activate and press into what's coming up, and it's going to be better. The latter will be better than the former. It's all biblical stuff. But church, we need to fight for something. I know there are an older generation that have been prayer warriors. And they haven't seen those prayers answered. Do you know why? Because they're going to be answered through you. But you need to fight for something. They spent hours on their knees saying, God, bring breakthrough. God, have a visitation. God, heal the sick. God, bring salvation. They're praying for all this stuff and haven't seen it. But there's a double portion anointing coming. So will you fight? Will you say, I'm getting serious about this stuff because I want my life to count for something more. So Elijah anointed Elisha to be prophet. Who else did I get you to call out? Jehu. Brownie point for the man at the front. Have a look at this. 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. As Jehu entered the gates, she asked, Have you come in peace, you Zimri, you murderer of your master? He looked up the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Is that it? Wow. It goes on to say this. They threw her out the window and her blood splattered down. And she died. She was eaten by the dogs and nothing was left by the bones. You see, when there's a double portion anointing, what is the most fearful thing in one generation is unrecognizable in the next. Because it's completely defeated. Uh, it cracks me up there that here she is, this witchcraft personified. And one of the, one of the ruses she uses is her sexuality. That she'll draw men in. You know, she knows he's come to kill her. So what does she do? Put her makeup on and go, oh, who's come? <laughs> Who's with me? But no, Jehu has been anointed to do a job. He's not going to get sidetracked. How many of us are anointed to do a job and are getting sidetracked? Come on, we've got to fight for some stuff, church. There are people who need you to win your battles because you will help them win their battles. There's something to fight for here. The next generation will stand on the previous generation's shoulders and they will go higher. Here's the thing. I believe it comes to a head when we see Elisha die. Now, the importance of generational thinking and empowerment is highlighted at the end of Elisha's time. Let's look at this in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elijah's bones, the man came to life. And he stood up on his feet. I love this. How epic is Elisha that even when he's dead, he's causing people to stand back up again. That's pretty anointed right there. How fun is that? Imagine that you're burying, you know, someone who's important to you. You look around and you see the radio. Oh, shove it. We haven't got time. You chuck them in there and they kind of go, wait for me, guys. Help. Imagine that moment. That's anointing right there. I, th- I love the father's sense of humor. Hello. Could you pull me out here? It's a bit like an Austin Powers moment. I'm really hurt. 
Here's the sadness. The reason there was so much power in the bones of Elisha is because he wasn't able to pass the anointing on to the next generation. He still carried it. He couldn't give it away. Elijah didn't go away with the anointing. He left it to Elisha. But Elisha is in the tomb still raising the dead because he didn't pass it on to the next generation. That is the importance of generational thinking. That is the importance of empowerment. And those guys who are here right now who are under 40, you are so important. We need you to grab hold of a double anointing to take the church, the kingdom, the message, the gospel, the healing, the health, everything that Jesus stands for. You're going to go further. And we want to pass it on. Are you hearing me? You see, the potential in the next generation is huge. And I love the fact that, you know, you look around our room and we've got ages from zero to in the 80s. And we've got so many different backgrounds and histories and cultures and stuff. This is what heaven should look like. It shouldn't be black and it shouldn't be white. It should be everything. It shouldn't be young and it shouldn't be old. It should be everything. Because we've all got something to offer. And when I look at you guys, this is it. This is awesome. So we need men and women of God who carry some stuff to be able to pay a price to pass it on to a younger person. And we need younger people who are so passionate that they're not going to miss it because there's a double portion being fought for. And we need you to step up. And we need you to push in because there's something worth fighting for. You see, I believe we're living in a time where people generally are running out of things to turn to. There's mental health issues everywhere. There's financial problems everywhere. There's relational problems everywhere. And people are looking for stuff. And there's positive thinking. And there's other faith-based religions. And I don't know, there's loans from the bank. And there's answers everywhere. But eventually, all those places are going to lead to nothing. Because the only place people are going to find true health and healing is where? In Jesus. See, Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the restorer. Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the peace. Jesus brings wholeness. And it's the answer that people are looking for. So I say this next generation are going to have more opportunity to share Jesus with people than ever before. Because people are looking. And people are more open than ever before because life is difficult. So wouldn't it be awesome if we had a young generation with a double portion of anointing who are passionate to share the truth of Jesus? Because when people get into the life of Jesus, he brings freedom. He brings hope. He brings eternity. And that is worth fighting for. So we need this generation to stand up. We need you people to get serious about your faith. We need you people to have a look at your life and think, what's my perspective? What's really important? What am I moaning about that doesn't even really matter? When I could be giving time to pushing into something that does matter. We need people to be mature enough, even as young people, to get good perspective. Are you hearing me? And we need an older generation that is willing to pay the price to help these people step into a double portion. There's got to be some people who refuse to miss it. Refuse to miss it. See, my truth is, I'm standing on a bigger platform than my parents stood on. But I can only stand here because they fought for something. But I know that my kids will stand on a bigger platform than me because I'm fighting for something and they're going to go further than me. And you're just some young people in this room who are going to go further than I will ever go. But you know what? If I can fight on your behalf and position you, I won't miss it. The question is, will you fight with me? Because then you're going to go somewhere. You are world changers. You know, I've had the privilege to go around the world preaching New Zealand and Germany and Denmark and all these different places, and I'll get more. And it's, it's amazing to say someone like me can play a part in all these different nations. What could you guys do? The world's getting smaller, isn't it? 
you know, people are getting saved via FaceTime calls. And it's a small place now. Imagine entering that with a double portion anointing that says your life matters. There's never been a better time to be alive. We're living in it right now. Is there an amen in the house? Could you stand up? I'd love to pray for you. Jesus. Let me just invite you to close your eyes. It just gives you a moment, you and the Father. It gives the person next to you a moment without you looking at them. Come on, let's do some business. Now, I believe there's some decisions to be made today. Good decisions. Life-changing decisions. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to move amongst us. Come and touch our hearts, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for everyone in the room. I thank you for everyone who listened to this via uh, some podcast platform. Bless you. But know this, your life counts. Your life counts. Your importance When the Lord said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, he meant it. He's got good plans for you. Father, we thank you that you fought for us. You gave up everything. You sent Jesus. And he went to a cross and died a death he didn't deserve to set us up to give us life, to give us hope, to give us freedom. Thank you that you fought for us. We, your church, right now, take this seriously and say, what do you want me to be passionate about? What do you want me to fight for? What are you calling me to? We say, what do you want me to let go of? to create some space in my life to get serious about the things that are important.